Happy Easter. Isn't it great to be here on Easter Sunday? You know, there's a saying that often you say in, in churches on, uh, on Easter Sunday, and I'm going to say it and some of you will know it, okay? He is risen. Okay, it's real simple. So let's try it again. He is risen. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were saying before as we were singing that word, hallelujah or praise the Lord. And wow, what a day to come and say, praise God. He is a good God. And uh, it's my real privilege to be able to speak on this day, Easter Sunday. My name's James and I'm a part of the, the church family here. And if you're new today, a real special welcome to you. If it's your first time visiting, it's really great to have you here, and as, uh, as Jamie was saying, please come and meet with some of us afterwards. We'd love to get to know you some more. You know, Easter Sunday, why is it so important? Why do we make such a big thing of it as a Christian? What is it all about, and why is it that important to us? You know, I believe that all of history and all of the future hinges on what we remember on this one day, Easter Sunday. It all hinges on this moment in the Christian calendar when we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you see, not only do I think it's really important, but the Apostle Paul, who wrote a massive chunk of the New Testament in the Bible, he thought exactly the same. Let me read to you what he says about the resurrection, how much importance he places on it. He says this, If Jesus Christ has not been raised, then our message of Christianity is useless. And so is your faith. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul is saying, Christianity is useless, the message of it. And and so is our faith. You know, I kind of think about it this way. If Jesus didn't actually physically, bodily rise from the dead, we're wasting our time here together today. We should go and have brunch, all right? And Paul, actually, he talks about food again. He says it similarly. He says this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He brings it down to the base level, and he says, If this story of Jesus rising from the dead isn't real, just go and gorge yourself. Go and have Lafare brunch, you know. nothing. What's the point of being here, is what he's saying. Unless he actually rose from the dead. Because if Jesus actually rose from the dead, wow, that's pretty huge. It's not just huge, it's massive. It's not just massive, it is life-changing, eternity-changing, history-shaping if Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm not just talking about some spiritual rising from the dead, pie in the sky like some people talk about. I'm talking about he actually physically rose from the dead is what we believe at this church. You know, it amazes me that there are some people who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, and yet they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus bodily. Without that, we're wasting our time. Without that, we've just got a few good ideas about how to help people. And there's lots of different philosophies in this life that can help you in that. What we're about here at the Street City Church is believing in a God who died, yes, but is alive today. He's risen from the dead. In the last couple of weeks, we've been speaking about the story of the cross and particularly the resurrection. Two weeks ago, if you were here, Sarah Field gave a great message and what she basically showed the evidence for, a compelling evidence for, 
is that Jesus did actually die. You know, some people have said, oh, maybe he didn't die and he was resuscitated, a load of rubbish. And she shows how historically you can point to the fact that Jesus actually died. Then last week, Aidan, he gave us a great message again where he showed that not only did he die, but the tomb that he was put in was empty three days later. There was no one in it. And he showed some compelling evidence for that. And what I want to do today is just look at a third part of this resurrection story and to ask ourselves, well, who saw Jesus risen from the dead? Were there some eyewitnesses? And if there were, what did they say? And can we believe their story? I studied law and I, I went through and, and you know, got admitted to the bar and that kind of stuff. And so for me, this whole evidence side and this side of actually weighing it up, stacking it up, I really like this. Because I don't think that Christianity is just some wishy-washy thing. If this Bible doesn't stack up, again, let's go and have Lafare brunch, okay? It's got to stack up. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these eyewitness uh, accounts. You know, I don't know about you, but, well, I think I do actually. If you saw a person who yesterday died and then today they walked in here and shook you by the hand, I'd be freaking out. Okay, I would think this is not a normal occurrence that happens every day in Wellington. I remember when I was in Zambia a few years ago with my wife, Nikki. In Zambia, if you're aware of the country and, and, and its background and things, I mean, it's a very, very poor country and uh, very high HIV, AIDS, um, death rate and all that kind of thing. And so death becomes a very natural part of life, if I can put it that way. But also, as a lot of the people there are Christians, they want to actually be buried and buried in a coffin, you know, in the ground. The problem is, is to buy a coffin is very expensive. So some of the sort of entrepreneurial coffin makers or coffin sellers, I guess you could say, they were coming up with a scheme that I heard about when I was there. They would, they would bury someone and then at nighttime they'd go into the graveyard while no one's looking, dig it up, take the person out, stick them back in the ground, whip off with the coffin and resell it. I mean, this was a great business. You know, I, I, I'm an accountant as well, you see. And so for me, this is kind of like high revenue, low cost of sales, okay? And they're just cycling these coffins through. And so what happened is that a lot of these graveyards had to have security guards. And there was one particular story, true story. A security guard is guarding this, this, this graveyard and he hears this noise. He thinks, well, I better go and see what's going on. So he takes his big flashlight over and, and starts walking to where the noise is and and then he points it down, and, and to his amazement, he sees one of these guys that he's heard about walking towards him with a coffin over his shoulder. It'd be kind of freaky, right? And so, you know, he's got his flashlight. He says, stop. What do you think you're doing? And this entrepreneurial, you know, graveyard digger guy was pretty quick on his feet. And he just simply said, well, they buried me over there, and I really didn't like it, so I'm moving over here. The graveyard security guard is flips out, you know, and he is out of there. Because it's so bizarre, isn't it? I mean, we do not expect to see someone bodily raised from the dead, walking around, eating, talking, hanging out with us. And that is exactly what happened in the story of the Bible about Jesus. That's exactly what we claim. Incredible. So what we're going to do this morning is just look at the first account that we have of the first eyewitness who saw Jesus raised from the dead. And if you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 20. Otherwise, it will come up on the screens. The background to this is that some of the women have gone to the tomb early on the Sunday morning, and they see that Jesus isn't there. So they go and tell some of Jesus' friends, his disciples, and they run. And Peter and John, these two disciples, get there, and they look in the tomb, and they see that Jesus isn't there, and they go back home. 
And it says they go back home, you know, really trying to work out what has happened. Well, meanwhile, Mary stays there. And let's read together from verse 10. The disciples went back to their homes. That was Peter and John. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She was a friend of Jesus's, a close friend. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You know, this is one of a number of eyewitness accounts in the Bible of people who saw Jesus after he had died. And there's just three things that I want to bring out of some of these resurrection stories, these eyewitness stories this morning, just to provide further support to the resurrection. And the first one relates to the story about Mary. And Aidan last week alluded to it. You know, as you read this story, the first thing that would stand out to you if you look at the, the history of the times and if you knew something around legal evidence is that this story, this first eyewitness, is a woman. Now, you may say, well, what's so bizarre about that? Well, if you wanted to invent a story like the resurrection in the first century, you would not have used a woman as your first eyewitness. One writer, Tim Keller, says this about this whole point. He says, woman's low social status at that time meant that their testimony was not admissible evidence in court. Incredible, wasn't it? There was no possible advantage to the church to recount that all the first witnesses were women, he says. It could only have undermined the credibility of the testimony. The only possible explanation for why women were depicted as meeting Jesus first is if they really had. If you're trying to make the story up, you wouldn't use woman. Another Bible scholar points it out this way. There must have been enormous pressure on the early proclaimers of the Christian message to remove the woman from the accounts. They felt they could not do so because the records were too well known. Interesting, isn't it? So the first point this morning is this, is that the first eyewitnesses were recorded as women. And that just lends some credibility to the story of the resurrection. The second point is this. The eyewitnesses were identified. In this story, we have Mary, And then later on, we have Peter and John and all of the disciples. And then we've already talked this morning about this man called Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, you've got to realize, Paul, as I said, wrote a large amount of the New Testament. But Paul was not initially a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was completely the opposite. He tried to hunt down Christians, drag them out, and see them killed. He was so opposed to this message of a risen Jesus until he met Jesus. He met Jesus. The resurrected Jesus met Paul. What an incredible moment. And this incredibly intelligent, powerful man in that time turns his story completely around and now says, wow, I believe in this Jesus. And he tells us, if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
He says this about this message of Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this message, this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And this is it, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So he's saying, listen, I believe it now. I believe he was raised from the dead. Now listen what he does. He then identifies a number of other witnesses and that he appeared to Peter And then to the 12, that's the rest of the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And listen to this. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, he says. Now listen, Paul names the disciples. We've already read about Mary. And then he says, not only that, but there were over 500 others others that saw Jesus in his bodily form resurrecting. You say, well, why is that so important, James? Well, Paul wrote these letters not many years after Jesus had died. There's this false notion that you know, masses amounts of the New Testament was written hundreds of years later. It wasn't. This was very close to the time that Jesus had died and risen again. And so when Paul is writing this, he's writing this letter knowing that this letter would be circulated widely among the, the known world at that time, among the churches. And what he is saying to people is this, if you don't believe me, go and talk to Peter, go and talk to the disciples. And in fact, I can give you names of up to 500 others that you could go and talk to. And in that time, as you know, it was very easy to get around with, in the terms of the Roman roads. And you could go around, you could go to another city, you could sit down and cross-examine someone and try to understand, was their story legitimate? Paul wasn't afraid of this story being tested because he knew that it would stack up. He'd seen it in his life and he'd seen it in others. So not only is it incredible that women were the first eyewitnesses recorded, not only do we have hundreds of people that could be asked and cross-examined about this. But finally, the message that the eyewitnesses were bringing about this, this physical resurrection of a person was incredibly hard to believe in that day. Now, it's interesting, again, I think, you know, some critics of the, uh, of the story of the resurrection, they've come up again with this false notion that, oh, look, people back then, they were a bit more simplistic. They'd believe this kind of story. You know, not today. We're a lot more intellectual, you know. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. You see, that's rubbish. One of the world-renowned New Testament scholars, N.T. Wright, he has done an extensive survey on this topic of, of the resurrection, and particularly around what was people's worldview and mindset or understanding of a bodily resurrection at that time. He's written a book. I haven't read it, but I've read it. It's about a 1,000 pages long, apparently, 800 pages. He delves into detail. And on this point in particular, I want to read to you a couple of the things that he says. After completing the survey of non-Jewish thought of the first century Mediterranean you know, area and, and world, he reveals that the universal view of people at that time was that a bodily resurrection was impossible. Why is that? Well, if you can sort of delineate, if you can, the world into two groups of people, Jewish and non-Jews at the time, 
Well, in the Greco-Roman thinking, starting there for a start, the soul or the spirit was seen as good and the physical and material was seen as weak, corrupt, defiling. To them, the physical, by definition, was always falling apart, and therefore salvation was conceived as liberation from this physical body, getting out of here. In this worldview, resurrection was not only impossible, you didn't want it. It was totally undesirable, he says. You see, no soul, having gotten rid of this body, would ever want it back. Some of you are saying, I know what that means, right? Even those, he says, who believed in reincarnation understood that the return to embodied life meant that the soul was not yet out of its prison. The goal was to get free of the body forever. So for non-Jews, a bodily resurrection was unthinkable and undesirable. What about the Jewish thought? Because as you know, you know, as you even read in the scriptures, there was a growing awareness that of this resurrection that was going to occur, and a lot of the Jewish people were looking forward to this. But there was a very important distinction here. You see, the Jews, unlike the Greeks, they saw the material and physical world as good, and death was not seen as liberation from the world, but actually a tragedy. And you see, by Jesus' day, yes, many Jews were hoping for a resurrection someday soon, a bodily resurrection. But the distinction is this. They were looking forward to a bodily resurrection of all of the righteous people, a time when God would renew the entire world. And the resurrection was just part of this complete renewal of the world. It was just part of what they were looking forward to. But the idea of just one individual, Jesus Christ, rising bodily from the dead. Man, that was crazy. How could that happen, they would think, while the rest of the world continued on, burdened by sickness, decay, death? Again, this idea of one person rising from the dead was inconceivable in their minds. So listen, before we say that they were simplistic and able to believe this kind of stuff, let's look at the facts. In their worldview, I think it would be easier for us to believe because they were so entrenched in their teaching and what they thought about the world that for them, this was seen as crazy. You know, the only reasonable explanation I can see is for why thousands started believing in this story is if it was really true. You know, Tim Keller again, he, he, he makes a really good statement here. He says, I sympathize with the person who says, So what if I can't think of an alternate explanation for this resurrection? It just couldn't have happened. He says this, Let's not forget, however, that first century people felt exactly the same way as us. They found the resurrection just as inconceivable as you do. The only way anyone embraced the resurrection back then was by letting the evidence challenge and change their worldview. They had just as much trouble with the claims of the resurrection as you, yet the evidence, both of the eyewitness accounts and the changed lives of Christ's followers, was overwhelming, he says. So I guess the question that remains for us today is what do we think of this resurrection? What do we think of the evidence for it? And to be honest with you, we have just scraped the surface of what you could get into on this in 20 minutes. There's so much you could look at. But Jesus did die. The evidence shows the tomb was empty. And you've heard today again just a very few points of 
the fact that hundreds of people were eyewitnesses to his bodily resurrection. So what do you think of it? You know, we sit here today on Resurrection Sunday, and I don't know why you're here. Maybe this is your church and you come here every week. That's great. Maybe you're just visiting. Maybe you're here today because it's what you do twice a year and Easter and Christmas, or maybe you're here to sort of satisfy the husband or the wife or do something which is good for the kids. Well, that's great. But what about you? What do you think about this? Have you ever considered the fact that actually Jesus may have raised from the dead? And if he did, flip. What does that mean? What does that mean for our life? What does that mean for our future? Because you see, I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ answers one of the big questions of life. And that question is destiny. Where am I going when I die? The story of Jesus rising is a story that says this, because Jesus conquered death, those who put their trust in him can also conquer death, can live forever, can have eternal life. Leo Tolstoy, the, the famous Russian novelist, you know, he wrote that, and you know probably many of his works, but he wrote of that, that incredibly large one, War and Peace. Very bright man. But he wrote this about himself or about his own life. He said this, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man. A question without an answer to which one cannot live, it was this, What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? You might say, well, that's a bit of a heavy way to bring this to a close, James. But isn't it true? I mean, even today, if you sit here and you're struggling to believe the resurrection, I would say that at the very least, you should want it to be true. Because without a resurrection, you can do all this great stuff in the world, You can have a heart for the poor. You can want to see injustice dealt with. You can want to see sickness healed. You can want to see death finished with. But unless there's hope after the grave, one day this world's just going to burn out or the sun's going to burn out. What then? That's what Tolstoy was saying. What then? Well, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he finished Jesus by saying this, or asking this question. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe there's a God who loved you, that loved you enough that he sent his own son Jesus to come and die on a cross to pay for all the wrong in my life so that We didn't have to do it ourselves. A God who then said, I'm not going to leave my son in the grave, but I'm going to raise him from the dead. And that's going to be a picture of what can happen for anyone else who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Today, on Easter Sunday, you've got an opportunity to say to this God, God, I've still got a few questions, maybe lots of questions, but I want to get to know you a bit more. 
And I really believe that if we're honest with God, he's big enough for our questions. He's big enough for our doubts. He's big enough for our cynicism even. Because he's not scared of our questions. He wants us to honestly come to him and say, okay, God, I've heard about this resurrection thing. If it's true, mm, that means some pretty big stuff for me. So help me to investigate it. And I just want to challenge you today to say, would you be honest enough with the facts, with history, to at least examine, is this story of Jesus rising from the dead real? And if so, what does that mean for you? Why don't we pray for a minute? Let's just close our eyes. We're just going to take a moment just to just dwell on that thought for a second. What does the resurrection mean for me? For some of you today, you're already followers of Jesus Christ, and you can sit here for a moment and just ponder and thank God for the fact that Jesus is alive. For others who don't know Jesus, why don't you just ponder that question? What if he really did rise from the dead? What does that mean for me? Let's just take a moment and think about that. Father God, I want to thank you today that you gave me your son Jesus and you gave us your son Jesus, that he died for us. But I thank you today that we remember he lives again. He conquered death. He conquered sin. Lord, I thank you that one day there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more separation. We will be with you if we believe in you, if we trust in you. And so, Lord, I just want to pray this morning for anyone here who is just wondering and pondering, is this true? I pray that you would just reveal yourself to them. Help them, Lord God, to receive you as their leader, as the person who saves them from death. 